Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to this. It is the Rugby Dungeon. Thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading. Thank you for subscribing and all those other things. Uh, find us on Facebook. We are there somewhere. On Twitter, at the Rugby Dungeon. I'm on Twitter too, uh, at Jay Beardmore. And of course, there is Egg Chasers at Rugby Podcast. But today, we're going to be talking about a different podcast altogether. Right, well, I am delighted to be joined by the one and only, from the Rugby Pod, Jim Hamilton. How are you, mate? I'm good, Jeremy. Thanks for having me. It's been a long time coming. Absolutely. Um, trying to get it, yeah, I've been trying to get it over the line for the last few months, so it's great <laughs> to be here. Mate, I have made friends with every Jim Hamilton on Skype trying to find you. I've got 25 Jim Hamiltons now. <laughs> Mate, I know. Well, people trying to mass probably trying to be me, aren't they? So. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I, I was meant to have Andy Good on today, but he was asking for too for too much cash. Oh, really? Yeah. Why, is he demanding money again? Again, yeah, again. Mate, hey, if you, you've got a food bill like that, mate, you, can, <laughs> uh, you need as much money as you can get. So, right. Well, first of all, congratulations on the rugby pod. Did you have any idea it was going to blow up like this? Um, none really whatsoever you know we got approached to do you know this new craze which is uh, audio podcasting yeah um, and me and Goody kind of go back a long ways mum was my teacher at school obviously knew him at Leicester but he was a, a little bit older than me and I said look if we're going to do it I'd rather kind of do it our way like my way kind of no holes barred you know a bit silly mm. don't take ourselves too seriously and we could just just kind of went from there really but the way that it did grow or has grown uh, or is still growing, um, we're blown away, really, by how popular it's become. And, you know, you look at it at face value, like it is a little bit silly, it's a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but, you know, there are elements to it that are quite informative, and we get some great, credible guests, and a lot of that will be because of, obviously, playing rugby at the highest level, both of us, and we both were, were fairly journeymen along the way, so we met mm. a few different people along that, that journey. And, yeah, it's uh, it's been really well received. It, it is what it is. You know, we enjoy doing it. It's very easy. Um, we'll see until we say something that's really bad uh, <laughs> and we get taken off offline. We'll, we'll carry on. Excellent. Now, when you were transitioning from playing to media, which I guess is your home now. I mean, you're you're more of a media guy than you are than you are a rugby guy. Was there some trepidation about going in, going into the podcasting world? Um, there wasn't. I think you know the media obviously is a broad spectrum as we know like we're doing the podcasting the same as you guys were doing that and then you've got the the written stuff and then you've got the more serious stuff with sky and bt sport and and then the other stuff that i kind of do with rugby pass so it's all a bit of the unknown isn't it i think that everyone 
well not everyone but a, a large majority of people in sport if you, if you if you if you're a player is you go into coaching and add opportunities to coach or you kind of go into the media or you branch completely away and I had a few different opportunities and sometimes when you have a bit of choice it can be difficult to kind of pick out what's going to be the, be the best avenue because the media stuff can change quickly as well as, as well as it is with the playing side of things but I've kind of chosen this road. I wouldn't say that I've fallen into it. I, I did manufacture a few different things when I was still playing, made sure that I put myself out there. You know, we've obviously mentioned the podcast and I did a little bit of commentary and a little bit of um, stuff for BT Sport along the way. You know, I wouldn't say that I've cracked it yet. I, I, I still think I'm trying to find my way in this kind of media world. I do, you know, I do a column for the Times up in Scotland for them games and it just keeps you in. It's just me trying to find my position because, you know, speaking frankly about it, you know, I wasn't a global superstar yeah. like a lot of the guys that are doing it. Uh, I was a player that tried hard and, and got stuck in and got sent off a lot of the time but, and build a profile that way. Uh, but, yeah, I'm enjoying the media stuff. It's a lot easier than playing. <laughs> it's yeah. significantly easier watching the game of rugby with a pint in your hand um, and saying that someone needs to be lowering the tackle or, or whatever or they need to drive their footwork through contact, all the stuff that I never did. So it's a lot easier to <laughs> yeah. watch. Uh, but no, I mean, it's been a year now since I retired and I, I'm, I'm loving it. We started podcasting about four years ago and I was telling anyone who would bother listening to me, as soon as there are a couple of players, like media people who who get into this, it's going to blow up. And I think you and Flats must have launched your, your podcast within like two weeks of yeah. each other. I just, yeah, you know, the was, success is phenomenal. Yeah, which is completely coincidental, really. Yeah. Um, I mean, Flaps is someone that I look up to massively uh, in terms of what he did after his career and the personality and the way that he goes about his work. Yeah, he's brilliant, um, isn't he? It was completely co- yeah. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, 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 fine. Yeah, it was completely coincidental, really, that you know we kind of set up two simultaneous podcasts, you know, him with, with uh, Shanks. They go back a long way. So, yeah, it was one of them... Like, you know, when I did the podcast, I did the media. I wanted to do it my way. I wanted to do it in terms of like no holds barred and try and make. No, I'm not saying that rugby isn't accessible or hasn't been accessible, but just trying to make it more accessible to the masses. You know, with the stories that, that are out there, and there still are a few stories. Obviously, the game's gone so professional now that that part of it is starting to die slightly, which is a shame. But mm. almost almost inevitable with the amount of money and the profile and the athletes that are coming into the game now. So I just thought there was a niche market to do something like that. And obviously me and Goody have been quite successful of that. You know, we, we do a live shows around the country as well that have been well received. Uh, and obviously Flats and Shanks are doing exactly the same thing, which is great. Yeah. And now, now tell me about your live shows, because are you starting to see a different side of rugby fans or are they exactly as you as you imagined via the live uh, show route? Well, the live shows are basically a stand-up comedy sketch <laughs> nice. um, with a few stories along the way, chopping some pints, and it's very old school. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the demographic of the, of the people that go there are your city workers that are, you know, I don't know, 21 to 35, let's stereotype, let's pigeonhole yeah, that. Yeah, let's do that. Age. Uh, uni students as well, so maybe slightly younger. Um, you know, guys that kind of get the banter, they love the banter, and, and that's kind of what they live for. They're probably not that great at rugby themselves, but they're great drinkers, and, and they love a story. So, you know, the, the good thing about the live shows is it's is fairly easy. Um, mm. I'm constantly trying to evolve what we do in terms of thinking about different sketches, thinking about different kind of ways in which you can tell the stories. And ultimately, I can get bogged down with them things because the easiest gags in these things is how fat is Goody and they love it <laughs> do you know what I mean it's yeah. as simple as that you know I'm, I'm overthinking about how we can evolve and how we can grow 
but some of the venues were selling out. It's like three, four hundred people at a time. That's and phenomenal. We did two, yeah, and we did two live shows in Edinburgh back to back on a Wednesday and Thursday ahead of the Calcutta Cup match and. You know, Judy being English and me saying that I'm Scottish. And we had John Barkley there on Thursday, which was great. He's a good friend of mine. He, he popped in for 20 minutes. And so in terms of creating that accessibility to the masses and to the fans, mm. I think that that's where the real beauty of what we're doing, it, it lies. Because you know, p- people that's what people want. You know, people don't want, oh, John, what do you think of the game at the weekend? Um, who's the best player that you've played against? There are elements of that, obviously. Yeah. But I think people want they want to delve deeper. They want to see what the pressures of playing games are like. And to have John Barkley just in that instance of that week, and obviously the guys went on to put 200 points on England at the weekend, helped. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, I think that that's what it is. And and we'll, we'll see how long it lasts. I don't know. You know, constantly looking for ways to evolve. It's great that we're all linked in, obviously, with your podcast. Ugo's doing a podcast as well for the BBC. Flats and Shanks as well. And it's great because, you know, we listen to all of them because... Some are insightful, some are funny, some have great guests, some are very topical. Like, you know, I think Corbs is one that he does. A good mate of Corbs, a little bit cheesy he is, but his are very <laughs> good. Like, you know, he, he speaks some real sense. and I've been on his before. So I think what we're all doing is great because ultimately it's free, isn't it, to listen to audio podcasting. And, you know, people are constantly saying, oh, how do you monetize it? How do you monetize it? Well, if you're in it for money, then you're in it for the wrong reason. Yeah, really, you're because- not going to go far. Yeah, exactly. So I think it's just more having a bit of fun and, and seeing what works. Yeah. Now, when you were transitioning from playing o- uh, over to retirement, it wasn't just the podcast that you've been looking into because you're with Rugby Pass, aren't you? You're you're a restaurateur, if 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 I'm yeah. not mistaken. Is there anything else yeah. which, which you're also up to? You haven't thrown up a skyscraper or uh, <laughs> opened an airport? Yeah, it sounds all pretty rock and roll, but it, it isn't. It's more I've kind of, you know, what I wanted to do was invest in a few kind of little things and stuff as I got towards the end of my career, probably more to cling on to an identity really. But I think also as well, trying to be smart with, with money, you know, I think the old saying, what was it? George best said that, um, he spent all his money on fast cars and women and, and, and the houses and stuff. And he squandered the rest. Exactly. So, right. Something like that. I mean, that's not quite me, but it got towards the end of my career and I wanted to make some kind of investment. So uh, me, Greg Laidlaw, John Beattie and Nathan Hines invested in the Scottish restaurant in London. Oh, wow. that has gone quite well. Um, I invested in Wolfpack Lager as well with Chris Wiles and Alistair Hargreaves because the brand was great. Yeah. Um, and it was one of them where I, I'm a big believer in, in kind of making opportunities for yourself. I, you know, I'm not one to sit back and be like, right, who's going to give me a job? Who's going to you know, help me out with this? I was just someone that wanted to try and help myself and try different things and you know it turns out the restaurant industry is a tough industry to make money um, yeah you know it's very it's very hard well i mean i i'm only superficially involved you know mm. i've helped helped out a little bit with the content and the social media side the stuff which the digital media is kind of more my passion um in that but it, it is you know when you come to retirement and i was lucky because i retired on my terms but you know 33 34 35 or whatever it is uh, is a good age to retire and it's just making sure that you one pick the right opportunity and secondly make sure that you've given yourself the best opportunity you know to pick to pick the right thing so i kind of got involved in a few different things um and yeah, i think it's just seeing which one sticks and i'm not quite there yet the rugby pass stuff's been brilliant i love doing it uh and to keep speaking and keep, and keep going on listening to my voice but basically rugby pass I, I pitched to them and I pitched to World Rugby and a few other kind of big media outlets about showing rugby in a different light. So, yeah. again, what we've done with the audio podcast, but through content. 
uh, in terms of trying to bring the stories of the game out, trying to bring the personalities out, which we've seen in football to a degree, but we've seen accessible content to the masses. Um, and I just think that w- my passion is to move away from the generic corporate world of rugby, which is always going to have a place because yeah. that is the, the demographic of, of people that we're working with. But try and make rugby more accessible through content. And we've been doing a couple of documentaries. We've done one in Singapore. I've just finished one in Hong Kong. We're going to New York in July to tell the story of American rugby and also the rivalries in New York that they have. They've got two massive teams out there that have got a huge rugby rivalry that the world don't really know about. Who are you off to see um, in, in New York out of interest? Who, who, are, the two? Uh, I'm not, who are the two teams? Yeah. So I think is it, yeah. Uh, hang on, you put me on the spot here. So <laughs> Corbs, has, Corbs has told me... And, uh, there's two New York teams. There's one's an old team, like an old boys. Is team it something like New been... York Blue or something like that? Is it something? Yeah, yeah, that's it. So New York Blue is one of them, definitely. Uh, and this is why this is why I should listen to your podcast more because you're informative. This is what I'm saying. <laughs> so yeah, so New York Blue is one of them, but obviously Ben Foden signed for them now. Oh, has uh, he? Good lad. Uh, not not New York Blue. He signed for the New York MLR franchise. Right. Okay. So. Yeah, so we're looking to get in there ahead of the game, really. Tell the story of the growth of MLR, where it is up to now, with the ambitions of where they want to go to. And I'm doing this rugby pass, so they're backing me to do that. Um, you know, we did some stuff around the Lions tour as well, which was quite comedic. It was quite funny, quite light-hearted. You know, but we got access to some of the New Zealand players, which was great. That is um, great. Yeah, so, and then, you know, leading up to the World Cup in Japan in 2019, we've got some great stuff happen- happening there. So, you know, they're publishing online publishing company that have backed me it, you know there's no holes bars we can be kind of as loose if you, if you want to say that term in what in what we're doing and yeah it's just good fun now i know it wasn't one of yours personally or it might have been i don't, I don't know but i think rugby pass were responsible for the newport gwent is it newport gwent dragons or are they just the dragons now uh, doc, uh, yeah. doc, documentary i thought that was absolutely absolutely brilliant yeah, well, I think we're being blamed for the demise of the Dragons this season So, and uh, and how candid Bernard Jackman was. But I don't think that the, the documentary we did uh, <laughs> had any bearing on that. I just don't think they had the players. But yeah, so we Well, did I mean, that, they couldn't so get we... any worse, could they? I mean, let's well, be exactly. honest. They, they just kind of carried on on their steady on their steady, t- steady trajectory. Exactly. Well, I showed Ross Moriarty the, the documentary and he said that was the reason why he was signing because he loved it. So. There you go. And all, and all um, the cash as well. Yeah, exactly, that reason as well. So I think they've thrown in a, a gold Mustang for him as well. But anyway, that's just hearsay. Um, but yeah, so obviously doing that, the access there, we've done one with Bristol. Um, and it's, yeah, it's just trying to, yeah, it's just trying to get that, get, you know, get the access. And and yeah, so a part of my job is to, to kind of help them with that, with, you know, the bit of profile that, I, that I've got and the kind of people that I know in the game. Now, one thing I have noticed by following, by following your, your career quite closely is you've got a sort of love affair with um, with Hong Kong, Singapore, basically basically Asia. Uh, what's the story here? Do you just enjoy it, or what's going on? No, no. Well, the truth of the story is is well, apparently the truth is I'm a quarter Chinese, I'm a quarter Asian. Ah, um, yeah, which is bizarre, really, isn't it? Because of my height, and exactly. obviously, you know, I look more like um, an athletic Australian. So, <laughs> um, yeah, but no. So I have got an affiliation to them. My mum was born in Hong Kong. Um, my Nan is Chinese, which she claims to be my nan. Well, she was walking around the house and stuff when I was a kid for, for many a year, so I presume she was related. But, yes, yeah, so my nan's fully Chinese, so I've got an affiliation to do, the Asian world anyway. Uh-huh. Do, so, because I listen to the rugby pod, right, and I, I kind of... I have heard you talk about this stuff before. 
the rugby pod is so jovial. I actually thought that this was all a joke. <laughs> genuinely, who knows what the truth is? No, genuinely, yeah. So I'm a quarter Chinese, yeah. Oh, did not so know I that. Do, yeah, so I do. Um, I go out there a couple of times a year and work with the the Hong Kong Community Foundation there, so it's a charity set up by the union. Um, I'm due to go out there again in October. Uh, obviously, went out there for the sevens. My first year retired, which was class. Um, and then we did, and we shot the documentary there. So I've got a, a big association with with Hong Kong, um, and it's great actually. The last time that I went to do the documentary, it's an, it's an incredible place. I mean, it's it's not a place that I enjoyed before because it was so corporate heavy, night out, you know, all the stuff. I've got four kids now. You know what I mean? Yeah. A few years ago, I would have loved all that. But to see the country and how I, in, in making this documentary and all the beautiful unhidden stuff that I didn't know about, it, it's been class. And, uh, and the Ruby Pass offices are in Singapore as well. And that was the first one that we shot. So, yeah. yeah so... So what is Rugby Pass and what is your position there? You are you are a content di- a content director, is that right? Well, I'm basically I say that I'm the MD, but I'm not. Um, so I basically um, content and commercial director for them. So you know you, you put in a posh director at the end, but, but effectively kind of look after their UK content as well. Uh, in terms of look after, we've got a team in Dublin that do a great job. Yeah, and we've got the boss that works out of Singapore. And, yeah, so I just come up with the ideas, uh, some different ideas that we do, and, and, and they back them. So the Explorer show is one of them. Uh, the documentaries, obviously, behind the scenes is, an, is another one that's a collective idea. We're launching a rugby cribs pads, <laughs> similar thing to what MTV did. So we're doing a similar thing with that. Now, um, now in your experience, from the players that you've played with, who, who and this is a terrible, terrible question, but I don't care. I'm going to ask it anyway. Yeah. Who, who has got the most impressive pad? Mike Tyndall. Really? Well, you can imagine, couldn't you? I can, actually. <laughs> uh, you can imagine, so, who, yeah. Who's, who, who's got the most impressive pad outside of marriage? Outside of marriage? <laughs> well, I don't know. Outside don't, of the castle? They're, they're, yeah, well, did you see, there was something on Steve Diamond. Uh, I don't know if he's married. Or oh, whatever, Steve Diamond's got an amazing house. I couldn't believe it. It was literally like footballers', footballers wives. Yeah. Um, so I know that he has outside of marriage. Uh, I'm not too sure. You know what? I, I think about. It, I haven't seen many people's houses. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I kind I'm of think, think a lot of times when you see a rugby player's living quarters, I'll, I'll call them rather than house. Quite often they're in a flat because they're they're only signed for two years. You think what is yeah. is this the lifestyle? Well, exactly. I think that's what it is, isn't it? And if you're London based and you get a shoebox in London, don't you? But for that money that you can get in Thalethley, for example, that you can buy a farm. Oh yeah. So a, a ranch. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So when they're on Instagram or whatever or Twitter, I try and zoom in to the background. I'm not bothered about them. I try and zoom into their house and stuff if there's stuff about. Yeah. See, yeah, no, see, see what yeah. the vices are. Exactly. But now the money's coming into it. The million pound players are coming through. I'm sure there'll be some unbelievable pads out there that we can maybe get hold of. Yeah. Well, back, back to Steve Diamond. Um, I don't know if you know this about him, but not only... In fact, he's quite similar to you, except a lot less rock and roll. Aside from the fact that he potentially owns part of sale sharks uh yeah he, he also owns like a, i think a boiler installation company uh i think he's got diamond construction somewhere like the guys the guy's a proper smart businessman wheeler and dealer yeah yeah but do you know what? i always think that does him a disservice because he's like yeah. these are proper established businesses and also yeah. you know i think in the off season he gets half um half of the academy uh you know moving wood for him and stuff Exactly, well, smart. I don't think he's that bothered what, what people are thinking. As I've seen his house, he's got Harley Davidson's, he's got he has. cars, he's got glass everywhere. 
in terms of up like glass windows and doors. So he must be doing all right. But no, I mean, I respect people like that. Um, you know, when you play sport or you're in sport, sometimes, it, you know, you can be blinkered. And, you know, I look back and wish I wasn't like that, that it's the be all and end all, that it's it's life and it is at that time. Yeah, but there's just so much more out there in terms of developing yourself and and also when the inevitable comes that you know you're either going to retire through injury or you're going to re- retire because your joints are sore. Uh, so, did did you ever con- consider coaching, Jim? Yeah, I did actually. Yeah, I got offered a, a couple of good coaching gigs to be fair, and I was very tempted. I coached the Saracens Academy for a couple of years in my my Saracens time there, which I loved. I really enjoyed doing, but. To be fair, and to speak frankly, and uh, I can, can't speak candidly now, I just had enough of rugby, to be fair. Yeah. I had enough of the day in, day out, and it started to become very mundane. Um, so it got to that stage yeah, where I, I'd had enough and needed a break. And I took a gamble because I got offered a, really good, a couple of really good opportunities, one in the Pro 14 um, mm-hmm. and an opportunity in the Premiership as well. And it was just, yeah, so I, I made a decision not to coach, and I'm glad that I did. I got a couple of mates who were in coaching. And it's, I think it's tougher than playing at some points with the pressures and stuff like that. Completely agree. And yeah, it, not only that, it seems to be in my mind like a proliferation of coaches at the moment because teams need more and more, more and more bodies to do more and more things. I, I just think like it sounds like quite a good job for a lot of players. I think once you're in there though, it can be a, a real grind. And if you're not top of your game, I can imagine it being pretty hard work too. Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing. And. It's you know you mentioned there that players when they sign contracts they're a couple of years long, um, so you're never really that settled, are you? You don't no. know when the next opportunity is going to come. You don't know how it's going to go with injury. I think the same for coaching. Is I think if you stay in a job for five, six, seven years, you're doing amazingly well. Mm. Um, and off the back of that is what happens when it does when it doesn't when it doesn't go well. You know you've got to up sticks and move. And I don't think a financial element comes into it. It comes down to lifestyle with your kids and obviously traveling around and stuff. So, yeah, it's uh, I think it's a tough, tough, tough game. And it's not a five, six day a week job. It's a seven day a week. And then you've got the pressures of winning and losing and all them things that go with it. So, yeah, I mean, when I go to clubs, uh, in my mind, the hardest working people there, they're not necessarily even the head coaches. They're the coaches underneath that doing their video study and, and all the rest of it. it. Quite frankly, it seems grim. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a tough job. You know, rugby is a very tough sport to be involved in, in, in all facets, because there's so many things, isn't there, involved yeah. with it. It's not just a team of 15. It's it's the wider team. You've got the academies. You've got the analysis that needs to go in the strength and conditioning, the physio, the nutrition. The, the list is endless. Yeah. With the, you know, there's great opportunities. It's great to be involved in. But you add into the fact as well, you know, that isn't like an NFL season or NBA or whatever. It's a, a season that is literally eight, nine, ten months long. You know, and then you put in pre-season that you're probably only going to get four or five weeks off in that whole year. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's a tough sport to be in. We're kind of in, in a position where uh, a little bit of the unknown with professionalism and money that's come into it. But, yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see where, where it be is in the next 10 years, I'd say, not five, but, you know, the next 10 years. Yeah. Now, do, do you think, uh, just going back to coaching, this is not really where I want to take the interview, but let's go with it, go with it anyway. Uh, do you think clubs are starting to get a little bit more reactionary now? Uh, to their coach appointments and their coach firings? Um, well, it's definitely coming a lot more, hasn't it? Yeah. Um, I don't know whether the media has played a part in that as well and, you know, the pressures or the expectations or, again, the money's come into it. So we're now seeing clubs being bought by, you know, 
rich guys. Do you know what I mean? So it's gone on the days where the clubs are self-sufficient. You know, people are now obviously buying the club. They want more money. We saw Gloucester obviously trying to sell the club. Bath have been bought out there. Nigel Ray, uh, Nigel Ray obviously backed Saracens. So it's very rare that your clubs like Leicester, for example, and Northampton, your traditional clubs, where it's all done in-house and there's a pathway for the coaches, there's a pathway for the players. It's all about the here and now and winning. So, yeah, you know, we're seeing it more. Um, but I think that that's what it is with professionalism. It's become so money-orientated now to stay in the premiership, to get top four for the TV rights that come with that, to make sure that you're in Europe, that you're in the top six. You know, the pressures are mounting there. And obviously the fans and the people paying the, the ticket prices, which have risen as well, they're, they're looking for their team to win and be successful and then bring in the best players. Yeah. I mean, the only coach that seems immune to these sort of pressures are actually, and this sounds strange to say it, but actually the national coaches, they're the only ones that get any amount of time. And actually, if you look at them now, I mean, Warren Gatlin's been there for 10 years. Schmidt's doing a great job, so it doesn't really count. But I mean, Eddie, uh, Eddie Jones has been there for two years and it's kind of debatable now whether they should even hang on to him, in, in my mind. Yeah, I'm the same as you. I don't know. I was... Uh, not shocked when they, they appointed him because off the back of Japan, his profile was, was really high. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm not convinced by Eddie Jones yet. I, I think that there's no smoke without fire. You hear whispers, don't you? So oh, yeah. You think, yeah, I don't hear any whispers about Joe Smith. All I hear is that he's a fantastic coach. I don't hear anything about Gregor Townsend. You know, I hear whispers about Warren Gatlin that he's ruthless, and we've seen that with, you know, the O'Driscoll scenario or whatever, and, and the tough decisions that he's made. But there's no doubting that he's a quality coach. No. But, it, the whisper, the, yeah, but the whispers coming about Eddie Jones are that he trains the guys too hard. He doesn't have a great relationship with the club. Lads are getting injured. Uh, the coaches don't have a great rapport with him. So you know, I'm only saying what the whispers are. I don't know for sure. Mm. But there's got to be there's got to be something in that, hasn't there? And, you know, you look at their Six Nations results and you look at kind of how happy... The camp is going into a World Cup. I'm talking about, oh, I'm not on about the guys specifically just in camp. I'm on about everyone kind of involved with England. The, you know, they don't seem in a great place. If they don't deliver at the 2019 World Cup, which they're expected to be in the final. Yeah, you know, that's what happening. Six Nations, we all have said that. Yeah, it's, I, I don't agree. I just don't think they're in a position. And hopefully I've got friends that play in the team that I might be in a position to be proven wrong. But I think the teams are overtaking them now. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right about the no smoke without fire because you hear about other coaches. I'll give you an example. Like, if you even mention Todd Todd Blackadder's name to a Bath player, you always get fantastic bloke, fantastic bloke. Um, the yeah. other the other guy who who is it they they all love, uh, Ackerman. I mean, Ackerman could probably start up his own cult. He 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 is that well liked. But yeah, exactly. You never hear that about Eddie Jones ever, and I just wonder if his spat with club coach, club owners in particular could be the death knell. Yeah, I, I agree as well. You know, Bath are a big club and he's obviously had a fallout there and what he's saying is ridiculous. You know, you look at it, players are coming back and they're injured and they're being overtrained. I get what he's saying. The guys have got to be a lot fitter, but ultimately... But do they? I mean, they're all, well, pro- I do, they're all professional yeah, rugby players. Yeah, I think in order to compete with New Zealand and you look what Ireland have done and they've worked on their fitness and, and they've changed their training techniques. I think to be up there with, with New Zealand being mm. the number one, and Australia to a degree in, in some aspects, then, you, yeah, like you have to be. Um, you've got to be. But unfortunately for Eddie Jones, that he's not in a position to do that with the England team properly because the guys aren't centrally contracted. So, yeah. He, yeah, he's got to be able to manage that, hasn't he? And he, he's not managing that at all. He's got to remember that the players that are coming from Bath are paid by Bath. Yeah. Um, and if, if, you, if you're paying these players 100 grand a year, 
and the, you know you've got a player in your front row and he's out for the season. That's not the player's fault. He's been injured in England camp, so there needs to be. I'm sure they'll be compensated some way or whatever. But in terms of an asset to the club and in terms of development for Obama as a player, um, you're going to be annoyed, and rightly so. They should speak out. So I think that you know Eddie Jones starting a spat with one of the biggest clubs in England, the most, is, one of most powerful ridic- owners. Exactly. So it's ridiculous. Yeah. So, yeah, com- completely agree. But I-, I will just say this. I also think it's very clever what New Zealand have done, which is make everyone believe that the only way to beat New Zealand is to play like New Zealand. Because you'll never beat yeah. New Zealand playing like, 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 like New Zealand. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's just, it's a million dollar question, isn't it? A lot of people are asking how you beat New Zealand. We saw Ireland, obviously, in recent times, talking Northern Hemisphere, they do it. You know, they've done it their way, haven't they? Yeah, Ireland might do it, actually. Yeah, exactly. And I think that Ireland, for me, are the only team with, you know, so you put a New Zealand best 15 and Ireland best 15. I still think Ireland got, you know, an opportunity to win that game. And I'd say from what I've seen in recent years, the last couple of years, they're probably the only team that could do it if they if they face New Zealand on their day. And, and that's what it is. We saw Scotland do a very good job in the autumn, but ultimately we know that that wasn't New Zealand's first first string team. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think, I, I mean stating the obvious New Zealand have set the bar but teams are now catching up yeah now Scotland's an interesting one is there any part of you who is is just slight slightly gutted that you missed this golden this golden time for Scotland <laughs> oh yeah I, um, a little bit like what well, I joke and say that you know all the, all the hard work and the foundations myself and fellow <laughs> players like Kelly Brown put in at, Nathan springboarded Hines. The, yeah exactly have springboarded the team to get where they are but you know, I played in an era where we just weren't very good. Uh, we weren't very well coached, speaking frankly. You know, we've spoken about Andy Robinson before. Um, you know, so we had him as a coach. He wasn't great, didn't give us much direction. The game was evolving so quickly that other teams were moving on at a faster pace. Um, and we just didn't have the players playing at the, high, the highest level. And uh, at front, I know we're joking about it, but in all honesty, as a, as a bunch of forwards, we were very good. Yeah. We had, uh, you know, we competed and, and above. Uh, we just didn't have, uh, you know, we just didn't have the backs. We didn't, we didn't have the, we didn't have any world, world class backs to be able to do things out of nothing or to finish stuff off for us. So, I think what we're seeing now is we've got a group of four, uh, a group of forwards for Scotland who are very good. Uh, they're maybe not as good as they were a few years ago, but they've got some superstar backs now, haven't they? Like we've seen that they've also got competition at nine. We had two good scrums before in Blair and Custer, but you know, with Ali Price, he's exciting. Laidlaw was very understated but a fantastic player but then you add in the likes of Finn Russell and Hugh Jones and Stuart Hogg you've got three yeah you've got three superstar players there haven't you that can make stuff out of nothing can do things that you can't really coach that are uncoachable Um, and then you throw into the mix that we have now in Scotland got some fantastic coaches in Gregor Townsend in Matt Taylor you know Dan McFarlane by all accounts is phenomenal yeah Um, and everything else all the work that they put in behind the scenes both commercially but into the, the back team in terms of nutrition and fitness which they've done for many a year but they're now reaping the rewards for that and they're getting a bit of strength and depth as well so all that stuff obviously makes a big difference so yeah there's an element of me that is a little bit sad I had a little bit of bitterness towards Scotland because of the way that you know I got thrown out of, of, of the team under Vern I've mentioned that that's been quite highly Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. 
PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Highly profile stated. Yeah. Um, but just more because I, I didn't have a lot of success, a lot to cheer for. Um, you know, but, I, I, you know, what playing for Scotland gave me you know, everything in terms of the foundations to do, you know, what I've done as a player after that or during that, you know, at Saracens and Gloucester, you know, the experiences gave me to, to be a better person. I'll get to travel the world, played in two World Cups. So I don't look at it like that. I look at it like I was gutted that I could never have produced anything. Like I didn't lift the trophy for them, didn't win the Calcutta Cup. Um, and, you know, we, we had some good times with the island a couple of times over, over in Croke Park. You know, played in the quarterfinal of the World Cup, which was good, but should have beaten Argentina in 2007. You know, could have beaten England in 2011. But, yeah, it's all could have, should have, never did. Game of fine so, margins. Look, exactly right, exactly right. So it's great. I think it's amazing for Scotland as a country, uh, for the players. I've got mates in the team. I know how hard they've worked, the coaches behind the scenes. I think it's great that we're actually seeing Scotland rugby on the map now. Excellent. Now, with all uh, with all your travels, with, rug- with rugby pod, rugby rugby pass all the rest of it have you discovered any any rugby cultures which are particularly impressive so for instance i was hugely impressed with 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 new york um and the scene there we actually played a game out there for 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 bayon bombers but you're far more widely traveled than i am so uh anything which has surprised you so far um i I think the couple of times i have been to asia that it's almost the rugby, I thought it was going to be very different. So I thought I'm going to go to these places and there are different elements to it because there's more traditional teams, you know, the schools, like the language barrier, the cultural difference. But ultimately, when it's all said and done, it, it's just the same. It's a group of guys playing a tough sport, a contact sport, where there's a camaraderie, the teamship that everyone talks about, but it's real. And I think that for me, going to these different places... It's just reaffirmed them facts. And I think that sometimes in the professional era, you know, with the money that's come into it and the pressures of winning and, and whatever, is you sometimes do forget about actually what rugby is and the foundations of it. Yeah. Um, and by me travelling to these different places, like it's real, like I can feel it, um, it's tangible, it's it, it's authentic. And that's what I've really loved about about doing this thing is, is I've gone looking for, for different things. And there are... You know, culturally, there are different things. And I suppose with Singapore and Hong Kong, what I've done, there's a big expat community there. So I probably haven't seen the, the complete differences. Like, would you to go to Madagascar to do one in India? I was about to say that. Madagascar so, is one. That, uh, Madagascar, and hopefully one day they'll be able to play Zimbabwe. That's a fixture. Exactly. exactly. So I can't wait to go and see these places because I'm sure that it is done differently. But I'm also sure from what I've seen in my short time of kind of doing this that there is no real difference like it is what it is it's it's rugby and it's a global sport with a global language with global values uh, i've interest. I, 
did you tweet out about Madagascar? Were you, were you looking for for a contact there? Yeah, so we've got a couple of contacts now as Brilliant. well. So yeah, so we're in the process of, of uh, yeah. So there's a bit of research that obviously goes behind it. Like I'm trying to research it as well and learn about the different things. So I'm not going in there blind and see if I can pick up anything that we can do specifically when we're there. Mm. Um, you know, ultimately, the, you know, filming of the games or whatever the training's the easy part. It's just really trying to find the characters of the team and stuff like that. Now, am I wrong in thinking that they get somewhere around forty thousand people watching their games? Yeah, I think it's it's massive there. Yeah, from what I've heard and from what I've seen, that it's huge there, and I had no idea. Like I thought Madagascar was a Disney program, so <laughs> that's you know that's as far as my knowledge goes, really, the ignorance of it. So, yeah, I can't wait to go there. I'm not too sure when we're going. We're talking maybe September time, mm. um, when the season starts again. Well, I tell you one which I'd love to go to, the well, the newly formed Zimbabwe team. Because uh, well, for all, for all his errors as South Africa coach, Peter de Villiers is still a good coach, and he's now and, and he's now taken over that team. So that's yeah, going to be exactly. fascinating. Yeah, definitely for sure. Yeah, and and also if you, if you ever try and put yourself together a Zimbabwe team of just players in the Premiership, you're not far off a uh, you know winning like winning a World Cup group. Exactly. No, um, it was interesting actually being in Hong Kong. To be fair, that um, they've got an opportunity to uh, qualify for the World Cup and play New Zealand in their first game. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot to happen between there, and then they have to play Korea and Malaysia, and then they go into you, what's the name of the repertoire? Is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That. Yes. It, yeah. Look at me. I know everything now. Yeah. So they go into that also, and then um, yeah, they've got an opportunity to get through all that. I mean, it's obviously a long way away. So. Yeah, well, we went to watch Spain, and they were in a similar situation. So, if they hadn't have been cheated out of that game, and let's, and let's be very clear on this, they were cheated. Um, yeah. They would have gone to a playoff, and if they go to the playoff and they win that, then they get into the repertoire. No, hang on. Yeah, they had to play Portugal, and then they had the the pleasure of playing Samoa at, in Samoa, and then you went into some sort of four-way repertoire. I couldn't remember how. Uh, that's This is why I do podcasting with Phil. Because he remembers all his stats and he knows everything. But it's something like that. It's a very convoluted way to get there. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's the thing. I don't think, you know, I think we get bogged down with, we don't we, about like the Six Nations or whatever. But there is so much more going on under there. And I think that anyone who watches the World Cup, you know, whether you're a super fan or whether you're just someone who just enjoys watching a bit of rugby, I think we all love seeing the so-called minnows there, you know, Namibia in the past or Tier mm. 2 nations. And we love seeing that story. Look what Japan did in the last World Cup. So... I think the importance of the teams having the proper um, ability to make the World Cup and to get in there, I think it's amazing, isn't it? And I think that for any of them teams to get through, I mean, how amazing would it be to see a Hong Kong or a Spain or someone like that playing in the World Cup? It'd be class. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, Sp- for ju- ju- yeah, just bringing the countries together as well. Spain was so close. I mean, they were they were painfully close. But uh, yeah, you, yeah. Should, you, sh- you should come with us to, to Spain next um, next year. Cracking stadium. Last time I was, yeah. uh, we were there, uh, e- even the king king showed up. There you go. That's how big it is. It's huge. It's absolutely huge. Exactly. So yeah, it's amazing. I mean, yeah, I mean, the European rugby is growing definitely, and again, it all comes down to profile, the rights that are coming into it, and you know, I think in the next ten years, um, it's going to be amazing. We've seen the money obviously in China as well, and, and the US, which everyone's excited about and everyone's talking about. But look, we just mentioned there, obviously Spain. Um, you know Portugal again. We mentioned Hong Kong, and yeah. So like, just it, it's rugby's in a great place in, in sense of of growth that way. Yeah, and more importantly, they're pretty fun places to visit, which is far more important actually. 
well, that's the most important part. Yeah, we're talking serious business here, but in terms of yeah, in terms of going out there for a break or you know, imagine going to Spain for the, Six Nations. Yeah, uh, it'd be class. Or Georgia. Georgia's pretty loose. Uh, have Have you been to Georgia? Yeah, I have. Yeah, I went there with the Barbarians in Tell 2006, me. I think. Tell me about that because I am fascinated by Georgia. Well, it was pretty loose. So we basically, from what I remember, we got off the plane in Tbilisi and we were greeted by some locals or police or army or no idea. <laughs> or a mixture. A mafia, or, or a mixture of the mafia and everyone. But basically we had to down a shot, which was like a double shot of Georgian vodka. And yeah, I felt like my eyes were going to pop out of my head. And that was when we got off the plane at like five in the morning. So we'd not slept the whole way because everyone had the beer fear from the night before after we played England <laughs> and got 50 points put on us. And then we had to play Georgia in wow. 100 degree heat. Uh, with about 10 people watching because they had to move the stadium because, I don't know, something had happened. Um, but, yeah, we had Bobby Skinstad was our tour captain. Uh, Will Greenwood was the centre. Um, I, I don't really remember a lot. We had a couple of Welsh guys in the front row. Um, yeah, and I don't really remember much else, to, to be fair. But um, a yeah, great place, uh, interesting. Uh, I don't, I wouldn't say culture, uh, George is saturated in terms of people talking about the culture there. Um, but I mean, I know Flats did something there, but it's the place I wouldn't really like to go. You know, Georgia, maybe even Russia, because I know that they're playing. They've got a team. Is Kingsley Jones coaching at Russia? Is he? A good question. That's a really yeah. Good maybe question. I don't know. He don't, definitely really stat man. He definitely was because, of course, there's that affiliation, isn't there, with Steve Diamond, who was also coaching at Russia. Yeah, I think yeah. he is actually. Yeah, so I'm not 100% sure, but I mean, yeah, imagine going to Russia, and I know it's obviously a little bit loose politically, which I'm not down with or understand nor bothered about the politics and stuff like that but um, it'd be interesting to go to Russia no one's told that story no, so, well weirdly if you want to know Russian stories the man to talk to and I feel like I'm talking about Steve Diamond far too much for a podcast which, which doesn't involve sale is Steve Diamond because he's got some great stories about coaching Russia well that's what I mean are you, do you live with Diamond in, in one of them glass houses that he's got in his house <laughs> in his little outhouse <laughs> no, no 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 he would have me out there pretty pretty quickly um, yeah, you'd have to walk his dog. That's what he does, doesn't he? If you're bottom of the chain, he makes you walk his alsatians that he's got, apparently. That's the rumour. That, is, that isn't far from the truth, to be fair. Now, just going back to you retiring, tell me if I'm wrong here. Have you gone through like some sort of deliberate process to lose a bit of timber? Kind of going through, uh, how can I say, de-rugby playing? Yeah, you go two ways, don't you? You go my way or the Andy Good way. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, actually, you know, we spoke about it on the podcast that we've done. I don't know if some people believe me, but I picked up a bloody nasty illness at the end of my career, which I didn't know that I had. But really? I was suffering with like, uh, like chronic fatigue, um, just feeling not right. In the last couple of games, I started against Wasps in the final Premiership game. It was a dead rubber. Uh, we had the European final the week after, and so they sent out the they call them the bin juice. So they sent out the the shags or the bin juice or the mixed veg or whatever you want to call it. Uh, basically, the guys who aren't in the first team to play that game in Wasps. And all week in the lead-up to that, I've been feeling rubbish. Um, and my heart rate was recorded significantly higher than it had been ever before. Um, yeah, I just had no energy. But, you know, as, as, as rugby players do, rightly or wrongly, just worry it through, just get on. But I started vomiting on the pitch and just thought I had a viral thing. Just thought, I'd, you know, I was obviously a bit sick, didn't think anything of it. And then we had the lead-up to the Champions Cup final, and as we all know, I only played a couple of minutes, two or three minutes. Crucial minutes, but though. Enjoy- yeah, they were crucial, and they always were. This is what I mean. They were always crucial to close out the game. Yeah. Um, so, kind of got all- 
not bogged down, but involved in all the excitement of that. Went out in Edinburgh, got absolutely slippered, but nothing untoward, like just as much as you physically can or have done in the past. Yeah. Um, the next day, I literally couldn't get out of bed. My wife had come up with the two kids and she was heavily pregnant with twins. So she was raging, um, thought I had alcohol poisoning. I did too, but I tried to put it off as food poisoning. Um, and it just kind of deteriorated from there. Just um, So we had the semi-final against Exeter the week after. I didn't play. I just I got worse and worse, started to feel sick. My weight was dropping, like, you know, we're talking a kg a day. Bloody hell. Um, so after the... Um, so, I, I, you know, we made a call on Tuesday that I weren't going to be playing against Exeter, but I travelled anyway in case that I was okay to be on the bench, and then I was in the hotel, I was in bed, I couldn't get out of bed. Stayed out next to for a couple of days, and then that was it, the season was over. So I missed all the celebrations there. Uh, managed to get home and gave it a week of just trying to obviously get my head around that one I'd retired and secondly I was just feeling crap and I missed all the celebrations of retirement and you know the end of season do um, and then just randomly well not randomly maybe she does it all the time wife took a picture of me from behind while I was brushing my teeth uh, I could see a lot of bits of my hair had fallen out of the back and I'd lost significant amount of weight you could see all my ribs this is in like a week or two Got on the scales. I'd gone from playing around 128 kgs. I was down to 112. Wow. Um, in the space of two weeks. So I knew something was wrong. Uh, went to the doctors, had a blood test. Um, and it was a club doctor still. Was it tough? No, I, you know, I didn't have to force a blood test, but I had to convince them that something weren't right. And I had like shakes and stuff like that. I was sweating. So I looked like a, basically a heroin addict. That's what it looked like. Like, you know, seriously, that's how bad it was. I uh, got my blood test results back. One of them, the doctor said, oh, can you pull over? I was like, Jesus Christ, what's wrong? And he just said, you, you've got a thyroid disease. I was like, oh, it ain't that bad. Um, but yeah, it was that bad. Uh, so I didn't realise the significance of your thyroid, which regulates your metabolism, your adrenaline levels, and especially when you play sport. And being the topper that I am, or the over-exaggerated that I am, my levels were levels that people hadn't seen before because, oh. one, I'm probably my size, and secondly, that I was a professional athlete. So in order for symptoms to come out, it had to be at a certain level. Um, but yeah, I was I was in a pretty bad way, to be fair, for a long time, you know. And I was I was still cracking on with work. Like I went to New Zealand, down there, and it was just yeah, it was just trying to. I went on different medications to try and regulate the thyroid, but it's uncommon in men. This is the thing. So I've got an overactive thyroid, so a hyperthyroidism or something like that. Um, very um, common uncommon sorry in men and it's usually an underactive thyroid that people have um so yeah so i had to battle with that and with that comes um anxiety and depression apparently i didn't you know i had symptoms of anxiety but i was determined to kind of change these symptoms through diet through trying to train and and through i'm not a big fan of taking medication but i had to to regulate this thing um and usually after six months you go into remission um i'd say it's probably a year and then two weeks since I got diagnosed with it, and I'm probably just going to a bit of remission now. So the hell, Jim? starting to feel a little bit normal. But yeah, it was serious. It was serious business. Um, and I know we joke about it and stuff like that, but you know, I was flawed with it, and I was having to play with it, and I was having to act as if everything was okay. You know, I had twins on the horizon that were due in September. You know, I was travelling from um, from the, the Saracens training ground two hours a day. I was transitioning, so. Maybe all that had a part to play in terms of why I got it, you know, because it, it can be brought on by stress. I didn't feel stress. Um, but, yeah, maybe it was it was just a bit of everything, really. And my body just said, right, we've had enough. I, so, I yeah. honestly expected your answer to be, 
yeah, I just didn't need the muscle, so I'm kind of trimming. Uh, I'm kind of trimming down. I had no idea. Uh, so yeah. So how are you now? Yeah, well, I'm okay now. Like, I'm okay. Like, I have days where I don't. So I do like training. Like I do like I, I've got a bike, a watt bike that I go on, and that's one of my things that I need to have. And yeah. So I'm not bothered about playing. I'm not bothered about contact. I'm not bothered about massively, hugely about the camaraderie. You know, I do miss that. But the big thing for me is something that I didn't realise that was would have been the, the biggest issue was your body's so attuned to training and to that release of adrenaline, endorphins, um, you know, your heart beating, sweating, and that is something that I crave and and I, and I do so I do a bit of training every day and some days I feel great yeah and some days I feel awful you know so and obviously I lost a huge amount of muscle mass through this disease that I had mm. um, and you know, I lost a bit of hair as well but I mean. You know, losing a bit of weight probably isn't a bad thing. No, I mean, it sounds career, like I, but... sounds like I would love to have a bit of an over uh, an over <laughs> yeah. thyroid. To be fair, yeah. Um, yeah, that's what everyone says. So, how does it respond to your, respond to your training? I, I've I've never heard anything like anything like this. I would I would have assumed that putting additional stress on the body wouldn't be good for it, but it sounds like it is. Well, yeah. So now I'm on medication, so I couldn't train for a couple of months while I tried to find. So I was on the first ah, medication that was making me sick, so I had to change that medication to a different one which is given to women who have just suffered a bad pregnancy and, and have it. So it's bizarre that I've actually got this. It turns out it is hereditary. My mum's had a thyroid problem, my nan. But, you know, you feel bulletproof, don't you, When you sometimes when you're a bloke playing ruggers. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so basically um, I, I could go so to try and level with you in terms of, right, say you've on the bench press, okay? And at my peak, I was bench pressing 120, 130. It's no biggie compared to what the lads do now. Yeah. So when, uh, so, you know, you think now... So now I can probably do 90 kgs or 100 kgs for three or four. So when I, at the peak of this thyroid thing, I couldn't even do a press-up. No. Like, it was just crazy. So I'd go on the bike and I couldn't even pedal my legs. It was just crazy. I just couldn't put put words to how weird it was. But So now my medication's regulated. Like, you know, I was I was training for a half Ironman in May, which has been and gone. And it was just, yeah, I just couldn't get the training to a level regularly where I was okay to kind of train up for that. Um, but yeah, I can run, I can run, like I do a bit of running, so I can run about 5k, no problems. Um, some times if I'm on the, on the bike or the rowing machine, I can push myself and, you know, back to the old days, feel that level of, of fatigue and, you know, the F word, feeling buggered, uh, yeah. on there. Um, but then other times I'll get on there, I'll be like, yeah, it's just not, not a day for it. I can't do it. So, well, are you, you going to do the David Flatman thing and uh, join CrossFit? Uh, well, I've done a bit of that, but that's the, yeah, so I've done a little bit of that as well, but just the minute I start doing that, the joy, you know, that's where I realised why I retired. You know, <laughs> yeah, that's a good point, actually, isn't it? my knee and stuff like that. So uh, I think, you know, if I look good with a t-shirt on and I feel good, then that's all that matters yeah. to me. Uh, you just mentioning your weights there uh, when, when you're playing. Are, are you naturally quite quite a, quite a strong bloke, Jim? Are you, are you more a uh, more, more more an athletic type, would you say? Yeah, so, so believe it and believe it or not, uh, I'm, fitness has always been my thing. Um, yeah. So that's where a lot of people wouldn't have realised when I played, but I was top of the charts really on a lot of the fitness tests that we did in terms of endurance running or you know the bleep tests and stuff like that. I was, I wouldn't say I was phenomenal, but I was very very good. My dad was in the military. Um, if I didn't play rugby, I was going to join the army. That was my thing. So naturally, I've always been very very fit. So. To the point where, you know, some of the conditioning coaches are, uh, are shocked with actually, you know, my recovery rate, VO2 max. I'm being a bit boring here, but like yeah. all that kind of stuff. So fitness was the, my point of difference, if you like. So that's where I kind of excelled. 
you know, if we, we're World Cup, World Cup camp in Scotland or whatever, I'm at the front of all the second rows. Um, um, didn't really enjoy the weights that much. Didn't start weight training until I was about 18. So never massively been into it. But, you know, my, doing weights and stuff, like lads are big into the weights, aren't they? Like, big arms, Love big it. chest, like looking muscly. Whereas I did it because I had to do it, because I had to be strong. I had to be um, strong around the joints. And, and that was about it. But I do a bit of weights now just to, as I say, look half decent in a T-shirt. Yeah, I, I do actually think a lot of... A lot of people misjudge second rows. I think uh, fitness in a second row is so much more important than strength. Because you see it, and what do they do? They just run around and clear up rocks, the occasional yeah. carry. But you, you, yeah, don't, exactly. you don't actually see that many... You do see naturally strong second rows because you're massive men. But you know, in terms of strength, usually your natural strength will get you through. It's all, it's all about work rate. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, A lot of it is farmer strength. It is. The game, it is, the yes. game is changing. The, the game is changing now. It is. Like it's now become more kind of power athletes. Um, you know, it'd be interesting to see how Joe Launchbury goes because I put him in that kind of old school mould still. I do as well, exactly um, right. You know, yeah, Johnny Gray's the same, but now it's obviously it's a battle of the power. It's a battle of you know your Courtney Lawses and your Marutogis and um, you know your Richie Grays and your, your James Ryan's and stuff like that. Guys who've got the ability to to exert extreme amounts of power. And so how so how powerful is a Marutogi? Because I I sort of do think of him more. Of, more like a hard worker who just happens to be at the right place, you know, the right place at the right time. I put that down to game oh, really? reading. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's ridiculously powerful. I mean, out of all of them, Nick Azikway is head and shoulders. He's like NBA, NBA NFL like power wow. material in terms of the scores and stuff that he's getting. But uh, yeah, but like Marrow is. Um, you know, I don't like using the word familiar offended by, it, but you know, he's a freak in terms of his genetics. Uh, in terms of how quickly he put on, and it is a lot of it is genetics, how quickly he put on muscle mass. Yeah. Uh, but he has he's slowed down. He's slowed down in the last year in terms of his power output. I think in the last couple of games, we saw the Marutoji of old in terms of his carrying ability, in terms of him monstering people in the tackle. Uh, but he's a very smart guy as well, Maro is. Right place, right time. But, you know, you look at someone like James Ryan, it'd be interesting to see what his numbers are in the gym. I know it sounds so professional now, but... You know what That's he important. what he transfer yeah what he transfers on the pitch um, again is is ridiculous in terms of a guy being that tall but being able to carry and get over the game line and drive his feet and find different angles and stuff the way that he does so uh, it's almost like Brody Rosalic isn't it you look at him someone that tall shouldn't be that good at carrying a rugby ball but he is because you know is it to do with his with his genetics is it natural you know is it power. Who knows? That's a million dollars. If I knew that, then I'd probably still be playing now, and you know, I'd be first choice of Saracen still. But is it, well, um, uh, I, I tend to think that Ezekwe now has has improved two or three times what he was just because he shaved off his hair. He looks nails. <laughs> exactly. Well, the, well, the lad shaved the biscuit off on the after they won the uh, the premier uh, no before the premiership. So I think yeah. So maybe when they, yeah when they were away on this uh, one of their their trips, he's getting a little bit of a, a bold spot of biscuit. So. I think when he uh, when he got in and he was asleep, they shaved it off completely. So he had to he had to shave it off. But good. I you know I coached Nick at the academy, and I'll speak frankly. I didn't think I thought he was going to be good. I thought you know he might break through to the Premiership. I did not think that he would have done gone on to what he's done now. And sometimes the players you can predict what players do. Yeah. I had no idea that he'd go on to do what he's done now. And why is that then? Just because you didn't think he had you know like the natural the natural um, aptitude for the game. What made you think that? Well, the, the, just literally just what I said there. The game now is all about power. Uh, so we're now seeing 
if you're a good athlete or you're a genetic freak, and I know somebody might be offended me saying that, but that's go, the, go the with crux it. of it, is that that'll get you a long way. And that's exactly what he is. So it's gone. It's not really gone in the days, but you know, your foot positioning while you're scrummaging or your ability to call the line out, you know, the, the line out is important, but you can get away with a lot with the thrower being very exceptionally good. And the, the jumper being extremely athletic, you know, the scrummaging is now taken out of the game. So everything now is about your ability to carry the ball, get over the gain line, your ability to stop someone in the tackle on the gain line and to get in the position over the ball around the contact area or clean someone out of a rug. Now, your knowledge of the game doesn't need to be massive to be able to do that. If you're extremely powerful, you can get away with it. So, And that's why we're seeing players now come through at such a young age. That's a really um, interesting point, that. Yeah, it, it is. And, and that's that's my personal opinion. Is it factual? I don't know, because I'm, a lot of things are backed up by stats. But, you know, it's gone of the days where, oh, he's a good, you know, myself, Christian Day, for example... Um, Ian Evans of Wales, like guys who are, you know, fit, strong, you know, can call a line out. They're good in the scrum. They're a good mauler. The, the mould of it's changed now. They're looking for 21, 22-year-old guys of that. Nick Way, Maratoji, you know, Ross Moriarty, James Ryan, uh, Tad Furlong, you know. Tad Furlong generates frightening yeah. amounts of power. Exactly. You know, their Leinster scrum isn't great. What's he like as a mauler? No one knows. No one cares. You know, <laughs> That's all, a good point. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? All they all they know and all we can see is that he's got a turn of pace that we've not seen from a, a proper likes potatoes. And, you know, he's got a crawling amounts of power and he can pass a rugby ball. So we are seeing the, the mould of it change. Um, and I, do, I think it's exciting. I, I love watching it. I mean, I love these American sports, you know, the UFC and... You know, the NFL big hits and the NBA slam dunks and the, these athletes. I love seeing it. So I think it's great that rugby's in it now. Are you following the progress of uh, Christian Scotland-Williamson? Um, just loosely on the social media stuff that he's there. But, I mean, when I've played, I've, I've always been a fan of him. I'm not just jumping on the bandwagon. Yeah. I've been like, you know, this guy is an athlete. And, you know, we saw him monstering lads in the tackle, celebrating rightly or wrongly, but he was. He, you know, he was, he was he was physically imposing himself on players, but I've always rated him. Yeah. Always thought he was a very good player. I said to Saracens, I think he's a good player if you're looking to bring anyone in. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Have you been following him? Yeah, well, luckily, I think it's after the Alex Reader hit. I thought, I need to speak to that guy. So I, um, I got in touch with him and, and I interviewed him, which is great because uh, then he decided to go, in, go into the NFL. But yeah, it's just it's just interesting. You mentioned like the power athlete, and that's exactly what exactly what he is, and the way the way yeah. that he transitioned over. So just as, yeah. as I understand it, and I don't know the intricacies, but he signed for the, for the Steelers, and even getting to training camp there is such an achievement. I mean, it, it's unbelievable, yeah. really. Yeah, exactly. We had Hayden Smith, uh, yeah. Saracens in the second row, and again, like he was an athlete. You know, like that was his. You know, rugby player wasn't top number one; it was athlete, and then rugby player number two. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Do you, so, do you know Hayden Smith's first ever game of rugby union? Do you know what it was? No. And who it was against? Good, JB. I'm loving this, mate. Tell me. It was against Munster. Can you believe that? He played his Munster. He played his first game of rugby union against Munster. There you go. Well, that's a proper rugby match then. Yeah, and he only had three snap. Well, I say only because people don't appreciate how hard it is to make the match day squad for an NFL team. And even if you do. There's no guarantees of you playing. So he made the, the match day squad, which is just phenomenal. And he yeah, had, that's great. He had three three snaps and one catch, which it just it blows your mind that he can do that and he can play basketball and he can play at Saracens. And he probably won a European Cup somewhere along the line. Yeah, exactly. And he's a good bloke. Yeah. So, yeah. 
Awesome He's got stuff. the lot. Right, Jim, I've kept you for nearly an hour now, so thank you so I much. I enjoyed that. So, so, much for, so much for coming on. Uh, well, it, it was an absolute pleasure, mate. You, you can come back on whenever you wish. <laughs> Brilliant. No, I appreciate that. Well, just let me know it's going out, and yeah, cool. I'll be sure to, to follow you guys. So just before we go then, tell me two things. Tell me what Jim Hamilton's going to be doing for the rest of the day, and then how we can find all your various media outlets, restaurants, social media agencies, skyscrapers you're throwing <laughs> up, everything else. Exactly. Well, I'm in Edinburgh at the minute, so I've got a little bit of work to do. We're just doing the voiceover for the documentary that I've done for rugbypass.com. So you go on rugbypass.com, you'll see that's the company that I'm working for, an online media rugby platform. Um, hopefully, we're going to be growing massively in the UK. But if you're in Asia and you're listening to this, then you'll know about rugbypass.com and you can watch any rugby game. Uh, I know there's not a lot on at the minute, obviously England, Scotland at the weekend, Wales. Um, and yeah that's it obviously doing the rugby pod and if you're in London and fancy a Scottish meal you head to Mac and Wild check it out macandwild.com and if you fancy a beer and you're in North London or you want to order some you go on to wolfpacklager.com there you go excellent and yeah one last thing why don't you drink Wolfpack Lager on your podcast because you do drink lager but it's never Wolfpack yeah Goody's desperate for a Corona um sponsorship deal so he's holding out for that but if it doesn't it doesn't come which i don't think it will because i think that they'll they want more the american dream don't they they want the trucker caps they want a beard they want tattoo hang on a minute yeah so maybe they're looking for me exactly. um, but yeah so so um yeah so i think he's been holding out for that but come the new season yeah we'll be drinking wolf bags definitely pathetic right well so, so my regards to goody and i'll catch you soon mate cheers jamie thanks for having me on cheers, cheers. buddy